Welcome to Wild Quincy, a podcast that looks into the little-known and forgotten past of Quincy, Illinois. The 19th century was hell for anyone struggling with mental health issues, and for one Adams County resident, that hell was a reality. But was it the mental health issue, or was it something much, much more ominous? The story of Rhoda Derry, coming up next. Now, here's your host, Chris Ketters and Travis Hoffman. Back here on Wild Quincy for our last rotation of our first uh, segment here in season two. Does that make sense, Travis? <laughs> uh, pretty much. I'm kind of I'm kind of following. No, I you take you. a left at the light, then another left, and then you take a right. No, uh, yeah. So we are four episodes into season number two and wrapping up this first rotation. But we had a fun time last time when we talked with none other than Chad Douglas talking about Quincy on TV, and we appreciate Chad coming on and uh, having some fun with us. And we had some fun on Patreon as well didn't we travis we did yeah we had a nice little post uh post mortem maybe you could say on <laughs> on the uh stuff we we caught some things maybe we thought we may have missed maybe not uh yeah learned a lot about uh just different things chad got to chit chat about and uh chris tried to get him to go real controversial on some things and chad uh, didn't want to go that route so no okay. fault of his own uh, we, we no, you know no, no. he he mentioned to us before is that you know and i agree and jennifer mentioned it too when she was on last season that it's hard to become biased when you right. were unbiased exactly. in the media for so many years and so uh yeah but i i try testing the waters a little bit so with if, Chad you, if you want to hear him squirm go check it out on the patreon <laughs> side of things that was a good time it was great having chat on we definitely appreciated uh him coming on and, and talking with us but uh, we have a lot to talk about in this episode also want to let you guys know a couple of little things we'll do with the uh cleaning up with this season so this is a, a kind of a unique change of pace for us for this season what's going to happen is that we'll have this episode episode coming out this week and then we'll have our patreon next week then we're going to actually take a week off i i completely mismeasured and miscalculated how we were doing this season and um i should have waited an extra week before we started season two travis you know what though chris if you're gonna really race or you know, kick your engine into high gear you gotta give it a little lag time to warm up <laughs> because we are getting ready to floor it Coming up next month on Halloween, right? Yeah. So, and the reason why we're flooring it is because, you know, usually you're used to the bi-weekly episodes that we have coming at you, and then we have our Patreon on the off week. Well, this is a little bit different because we're going to have a Halloween special month, and instead of it being bi-weekly, it will be weekly, every week in the All month of October. treats, no tricks. We're coming to you every week. It's going to be a good time. It's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. We're going to be talking about ghosts and paranormal and maybe even go into a paranormal location and do an investigation and uh, bringing you those results as well as we get towards the end of October. But that's coming up in a few weeks. So we want to give you a heads up that if you don't see anything in two weeks coming up, that is the reason why is because we're taking a bye week as we head into our big month of October. And then we're back into the rotations once again. So it should be a lot of fun. And by the way, if you're a Patreon subscriber, we are still doing our bi-weekly Patreon during the month of October as well. So you won't miss out on any of those. Yeah, I think we're planning on uh, doing Patreon releases on Maybe Thursdays are another an off day of those weeks so that we're not getting double hit twice a week on stuff. <laughs> Yeah, so be checking that out, and we'll have more details coming up. And by the way, we'll throw this out as well. If you know of a haunted location, again, that you think we should talk about, head to our Facebook page and put a message in there. We'll we'll post something in the coming days just to give you another opportunity to post something on there to maybe give us a little indication of places we might be missing, because we're going to cover all the bases coming up or, in the month of October. Or if you have some spooky stories from around town, we'd also love to hear those as well. Absolutely. It would be great to have those. That is going to be your Halloween October Wild Quincy. I'm going to come up with something fancier than that, but it's going to be a, a, a spooktacular Quincy. How about that? <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll work on it. We'll work, we'll on, work it. on it. It'll be, it'll be polished. <laughs> a little half-baked right now, but it's going to be delicious. Well, this episode we got coming up, we're digging into something that I, I've said multiple times in previous episodes. I thought this was going to be something that we're going to get into, and it was going to be a carnival freak show, sideshow thing, and it's not. So we'll have to get our gears going for that. But before we get into that, 
we got to get to that question of the day. Are you ready for this one, Travis? Yeah, lay it on me. Let's see what you got. So since we're getting into the Halloween season, as you know, we usually talk about whatever's coming up in the next episode. Well, this one, since we're doing a month of Halloween stuff, this one is kind of ghost related, but it's still very Quincy eccentric. So your question of the day is this. How many people are estimated to be buried at Woodland Cemetery? Oh, boy. Hmm. Okay, I want to give you some choices. Okay. All right, so your choices are 10,000, 25,000, 47,000, or 60,000. So that Hmm. is the question. Again, how many people are estimated to be buried at Woodland Cemetery? I'm doing some mental surveying, and it's tough to really... uh equivocate that but I'll, I'll be thinking about that we'll see what happens here at the end of the show so we will have that answer for you coming up in just a few minutes but right now we're going to talk about a mysterious person in the tri-state area yeah a little bit of mystery a little bit of intrigue but frankly i mean you talk about a sad scary story this this kind of has that written all over it in more of an unfortunate way it's all about rhoda dairy and i believe that's coming up next chris right here on wild quincy <laughs> Here's what you missed on the latest After Hours episode of Wild Quincy. That's probably the topic of a future Wild Quincy. Okay. It's the whole Moncton house and the lore around that and involving tunnels going to the river and, and all this and that. Ooh. So, interesting stuff. We're trying to get Travis to do a mob episode, but he's afraid we're going to get off. <laughs> we might still get whacked. Over. I don't think enough people I, are dead yet, Chris. Yeah. I don't want to be a guest on that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Our After Hours episodes are available exclusively for Patreon members by going to patreon.com slash wildquincy. For just a couple dollars a month, not only will you double the amount of Wild Quincy episodes at your fingertips, but you'll also be supporting our efforts as we continue to dive into the wild and crazy history of our favorite town. Also, as a Patreon member, you can take part in our live events and Patreon-only outings, as well as having access to our regular episodes two days before they are released to the public. It's easy. Just head to patreon.com slash wildquincy. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash wildquincy and become a wild thing today. This is Susan. You're listening to Wild Quincy. Now back to Travis and Chris. Back here on Wild Quincy, and this week's subject, we have to give a thanks to Robert Turek for sending this in to us. He sent us in a couple ideas, and, and this one kind of uh, kind of hit us a little bit. So we wanted to dig a little deeper into it, and we did. So we want to give him a shout out. Also, I believe he uh, runs Quincy from Above, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct, Travis? Yeah, I believe so. It's a nice a nice blog that covers topics that complement his skills as a drone pilot. So he's lots of you know lots of cool shots and stuff like that. And I will tell you. I, I did check out his website today and um, check it out as well because he has some amazing pictures on there. I almost hit that buy now button on this very cool lightning shot that he had with the baby bridge nice. uh, in the foreground. Uh, but uh, yeah, so yeah, check that out. He's got a lot of cool stuff there and we appreciate him sending this to us. Uh, so Travis, let's dig in to this. Uh, her name is Rhoda Derry and that's all I can tell you. You've done all the research, so I'll uh, give you the range. That's right. We'll, we'll, we'll take the ball and run here, Chris. So this happened a bit ago. It all starts back in 1834 when Rhoda, the youngest of nine children, she was born in uh, Indiana, and their family quickly moved here to the Lima, Illinois area, which isn't just a hop, skip, and a jump north of town here. Young and in love, 18-year-old Rhoda Derry was a beautiful daughter of a poor farmer, Chris. She and her boyfriend, Charles Phoenix, were growing more and more in love and had plans on being together. And on being wed, for that matter. That is, until Charles' mother Nancy got wind of things. Nancy was taken back that her son would even consider marrying this poor dairy girl. As in those times, it was common for parents to try and, you know, kind of make their kids increase their social standing by marrying up and kind of getting more of a nest egg and wealth for the rest of their life. You know, overall, just getting financial gain and social standing. Sure. Well, with Rhoda not having either money or social standing, Nancy Phoenix was none too pleased about hearing this happening. So she set out to break these guys apart. She single-handedly destroyed all prospects of a happy life for Rhoda, and her actions set Rhoda on this path of insanity, disfigurement, and decades of horrific existence. So it's a little heavy. 
Have you, had you ever heard of this name, Rhoda Derry, before we started, Chris? No, the first time I heard about it was from the email from Robert, and that's the first. And, and like I said, I've told this a couple times. What I've heard, I was always under the assumption that she was part of a carnival sideshow kind of thing, and that's very far from right. the truth. And I think that leads into something you'll talk about later with uh, one of the newspaper articles that, that actually has something in about that. But That's right, that's right. Yeah, the, new, the newspaper articles here in Quincy, although it happened north where she lived, they were very fascinated. Later on, after her death, a nephew of her wrote in and kind of gave this, gave this whole account of her life. And continued stories had the local newspapers referring to her as Aunt Rhody because of the, the nephew's uh, stories, basically. So now we get into the, the real stuff here, Chris. According to Dairy Family History, Nancy confronted Rhoda and either threatened to or did put a curse on her. That's right, like a witch, a curse, <laughs> a hex. What years was this again? Well, this this was she was born in 1834. So when she was 18, if you do the math, tag 18 years on that, you're talking. I don't math well, but that's probably in 1840, late 1840s. So at, at any rate, no one could have anticipated that the act of Nancy pretending to put some kind of curse or hex on Rhoda would be this trigger that essentially would send Rhoda down this spiraling, horrible path. It essentially broke something in her brain. People who knew the Dairies knew that there was a family history involving witchcraft. And there were stories of Rhoda's grandmother, whose name was Molly Dairy. And this is an interesting character, because if you put yourself in the context of you're an 18-year-old girl, this is late 1800s, there's a lot of voodoo, witch, witch talk, this kind of stuff was run-of-the-mill. This folklore was very heavy. And especially, she'd been growing up hearing, hearing about the tales of her grandmother, whose name was Molly Derry. And basically, the story about her goes that Molly Derry and her husband lived in Germany. And at the time, many Germans were coming over during the Revolutionary War period here in America, and they became paid soldiers that were called Hessians, and most of them were fighting for the British. So Molly's husband was one of the men who came over as a Hessian, Hessian soldier. Molly wanted to be with her husband, so what she does is, is she disguises herself as a man and just joins him to come over. So as soon as they get to America, they both desert the British army, and they end up fighting alongside the Americans. Now, Molly is still disguised as a man this whole time, and they eventually went into training to be sharpshooters for the American forces at the time. Both were very good soldiers, ended up, you know, being sharpshooters. Not somebody you really want to mess with, essentially. And after this, they settled down in the hills of Pennsylvania, and they started a family. It was then that this Molly began getting a reputation for being a witch and a healer, as well as a practitioner of Pennsylvania Dutch hex magic. Now, this folksy practice was seen as an early form of, of medicine, which employed techniques of fortune-telling, spells, different things for protection, removal of curses and hexes. Essentially, there were two reasons you would go to a person like Molly, to either get protection from somebody else or to really stick it to somebody via the, the witchcraft and hex route. So it was loosey-goosey. A lot of people feared this woman. Her reputation spread far and wide in Pennsylvania as a powerful witch. And though Rhoda was born in Indiana, she probably never met Molly. But these stories of this grandmother who was a powerful witch had been filling her head since she was a little girl, no doubt. So the threat of Nancy Phoenix to her putting a hex on her was nothing less than serious stuff. So, it, like I said, it basically broke something in her brain, and she would go into these manic fits of hysteria, which she would never recover from. Hmm. L little heavy. little heavy. Yeah. So, yeah. you have poor Rhoda, just been hexed. Charles isn't coming around anymore. Nancy successfully broke these guys apart. What happens is Nancy starts to feel bad because everybody notices that Rhoda's just lost it, basically. She's losing touch with reality. She even makes attempts to remove the hex if Rhoda will come see her. The Dairy family wants nothing to do with this woman anymore. And so Nancy was never able to, quote-unquote, undo this curse or anything that happened to her. 
Now, Rhoda would have these fits of manic fear that witches and the devil, or old scratch as he was referred to at the time, that were trying to get her. And there was nothing anybody could really do to calm her during these fits. Rhoda's mother tried anything she could. At times, she would even take the shotgun and just shoot up in the air as if she was trying to help scare these invisible tormentors away from Rhoda. I mean, wow. bless her soul, she's trying to do something to help. Not sure exactly how, how helpful that was. When did this start for Rhoda? What are we, is that the... She was 18, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Rhoda's manic fits grew longer and more frequent. Eventually, the family knew she needed more help than they could provide, so they had her committed to the Illinois State Hospital for the Insane, which is in Jacksonville, and this was around 1856. About this same time, the Phoenix family moved away from Ursa because they lived in Ursa. The Derry family lived in Lima, very close. They had shared a lot of community functions and stuff. Well, the Phoenixes were long gone. History kind of loses touch of whatever happened to them. So cut back to the uh, Illinois Hospital for the Insane. The Jacksonville's facility was hopeful. The goal was basically to treat and hopefully cure the insane. And the hospital divided patients into what they believed were separate causes for insanity. And Rhoda was lumped in with others under this label of disappointed affections. Now, (laughs) the practices and classifications used at this time were obviously, you know, laughable by today's standard of mental treatment. But what's disturbing is the process of even getting someone admitted was a traumatic experience. They would actually have to have like a trial where they would you know, say, I think this person is insane, the judge would either agree, and then they would be arrested, and then they would be brought in shackles to this insane asylum for processing. And Mm. so it was a heavily traumatic thing. Once at the hospital, Rhoda was admitted to the only ward where straitjackets were used. Mm. She lived in a cell-like bedroom with uh, locked doors and windows, and each night, the staff saw to it that Rhoda was locked in her room. However, this is where things get a little weird. Mysteriously, Rhoda would be found outside every morning, wandering the grounds of the hospital. Every night. And she was in a straitjacket? Yeah. I don't know if she was in the straitjacket and locked up, or just locked okay. up. Every morning, they would find her outside wandering the grounds of the hospital. And when they had collected her and got her back into her room... They would repeatedly question who had let her out of the the room. And every time, Rhoda would insist that Nancy Phoenix had been the one that let her out. This seemingly indicated that hallucinations of Nancy Phoenix would just continue to haunt and terrorize Rhoda the rest of her life. I want to go back to the trial. Uh, What was the official? Was she just like like screaming and being all crazy or what exactly was she doing that would finally get her? Was there specific things that she was doing that was enough for her to get in there? They, you, there's you know not many details on the trial itself. They don't speak a lot to it, but it was, it, okay. it was a pretty open and open and shut case, apparently just based on her kind of manic fits of just a lot of like shouting, you know, just, from what I understand, just, just out of touch with reality, just not, not really there. Okay. So at the hospital, try as they may, the staff of the hospital could never really explain how she continued to get out of her locked room every night. There's a starting to be a trend here on weird things happening around Rhoda, which will come into play down the road, I think. So the hospital soon became overpopulated. As uh, much to the staff's disappointment, it was realized that some of their patients, though they were trying everything they could to help cure them, there was just nothing they could do. So with overpopulation and growing more and more every day, they adopted this new policy where after a two-year observational period, those that were incurable were basically kind of given up on and just sent home to be dealt with with their family. So sure enough, two years came and gone, and Rhoda was released back into the care of her family in 1858, deemed incurable. So, I mean, I can't imagine what the family's thinking. Okay, Rhoda's back. She's been in a locked cell. She's become more despondent. And she's pretty much out of touch with reality for the most part. She continues to refer to invisible beings tormenting her. Talks a lot about the devil, Nancy Phoenix, still haunting her. Hmm. Now, Rhoda's family did what they could to ensure her safety and comfort. But 
life with Rhoda was completely unpredictable, and the dairies were already very poor, and the only thing they really had going was maybe a little bit of you know social interaction with people, and that really dried up pretty quick when you know their daughter is just scaring the crap out of everybody essentially. What was really unsettling were these odd and just sometimes borderline supernatural things that would happen with Rhoda. Some speculated that she possessed some kind of psychic abilities. She would sometimes make predictions about various people coming to visit, often which turned out to become a reality. On one instance, she predicted that members of the family who were visiting were going to announce that they were expecting a child. And sure enough, that's exactly what the case was. She would approach strangers passing through town, and something that Rhoda loved to do was to try and get chewing tobacco from strangers. So she would accost people walking by. She loved chewing tobacco, couldn't get enough of it. And if, and if she could get some chewing tobacco from them, she would tell the person why they were in town, and just like all this stuff that she had no business knowing, essentially. Mm-hmm. At one point, there was a kind of a saddle salesman type character who was so freaked out that he just climbed back on his horse and got the heck out of there as fast as he could. (laughs) There were these weird instances, Chris, where she starts displaying these kind of supernatural abilities. It wasn't like a spectacle where if somebody is like doing a psychic show, so to speak, it's like, ooh, clap of the audience, yay. Well, this was completely terrorizing how she would go about it. It (laughs) like It was theatrical, but it was like scary theatrical. And a lot of people in her family said this is very familiar to like how her grandmother operated. So there was some speculation that oh. somehow old Molly Derry, the witch, was somehow having a role in either you know passing hmm. on <laughs> these kind of abilities or maybe somehow possessing her. Like I said, it, a lot of crazy speculations way back here. So you got this insane daughter scaring the crap out of people with these psychic abilities, these manic fits. It's a bad situation. You know, there's no real silver lining here. It's just really bad. But it gets so much worse, unfortunately. <laughs> her only real ally was her mother, Rachel. And you know, when she wasn't shooting guns up in the sky trying to scare away the invisible people torturing her daughter, she was just generally the one that Rhoda could go to to at least try to get some kind of comfort. And in 1860, Rachel, Rhoda's mother, dies. This was a huge loss, as you know, she was the only person capable of really understanding or trying to help with little she could during these fits. Her father, Jacob, he was in his late 60s, I think, at this time. So if you think about you know, being in the 70s, the time frame here, 1860, I mean, that's, that's getting up there in the time. Not to mention that they were riddled with poverty. They probably had to sell their home and kind of be taken in as a boarder. A lot of times that was the case back then. Poor houses could also be kind of farmed out, so to speak, to people who would take in fostering people. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine what kind of house guest Rhoda and company was hmm. back here. So Jacob, unfortunately, he had he had no choice but to have her put in the Adams County Alms House, which was also known as the Adams County Poor House, which was in Coatesburg, Illinois. Just a hop, skip, and a jump. I think 15 minutes or so would drive. Yeah, yeah, probably. Now, this was truly unfortunate because she would have been best served if she was returned back to the initial Jacksonville Hospital, which she was previously at. Right. However, that policy said she's already been here two years. We already Mm. tried. She's incurable. And so they, there was no way she could get back in there. And this was probably the worst-case situation. Um, she was left in the almshouse. It was l- less traumatic at getting there. Nobody had to be arrested for this. Uh, she was dropped off there. The almshouse was a poor house. It wasn't meant to be a place for the mentally insane. The staff wasn't there, and they didn't have the training. They didn't have the capability of right. taking care of somebody. And so here's Rhoda left in their, you know, in their care, no family, they just kind of dropped her off, and things get really, really bad. Almost immediately, I mean, her condition just spirals more and more. She becomes increasingly erratic, uh, just lashing out at people, extremely violent. They didn't know what to do with her. It was a mess. 
her behavior and mood, I mean, he was she was unresponsive to the outside world. She would just attack people. It was violent, just very bad. Here she is in the almshouse. They're trying to figure out what to do with this woman. Not really prepared for any of this. So she was admitted in 1860. And in 1881, there was these different reports that were made to the General Assembly of Illinois that kind of talked to the conditions of the patients in the almshouses in the area, in the state. And an 1881 report filed that a female patient inhabiting the Adams County almhouse, almshouse was lodged in a large wooden box filled with straw. She would not wear clothing, but was covered with a canvas cloth in constant motion, had bruised herself from head to foot, and had pulled out her own eyes. Oh, my God. This was Rhoda. Can we process that a little bit? Sure. Obviously, you just said she was put in a box. Yeah. And so there's obviously a separation. I, You know, there's a bunch of things going on in my mind. I'm going to wait until we get to the end to, to discuss some of these things. But... Well, anytime you have somebody that is separated from society and separated from people in general in that long a period, I mean, look at what happens to people that get put into, uh, you know, they're in prison and get put into solitary solitary confinement. They can't have them be in there for an extended period of time. Otherwise, they're literally going to go insane. You could be a perfectly sane person. And if you're separated from society like that for such a long time, things are going to get worse. And then obviously you're looking 1860s to 1880s here where people still have no flipping clue what they how to deal with this type of thing and not understanding that withdrawal from social right. situations is a right. horrible situation for for a, a human being so yeah i mean it's just it's, it just sounds like it's getting it got compounded and no fault of theirs but it sounds like it's definitely gotten compounded to be even worse it really did and a lot of people would think okay this must be a horrible place this almshouse you know it's easy to think that this was a place run by monsters and this wasn't really a correct assumption. The stewards in the facilities were actually quite good. They were considered one of the best in Illinois, but they had a lot of cards stacked against them. They weren't trained for this situation. There was a constant struggle for funding. They seemingly did the best they could to manage her, but the declining mental state just created more needs than they could possibly facilitate. And th- there was nowhere else to go. They were they were stuck with her. So hopefully, with this, with what's happened with the state legislature, did did that help? Did that get her in a direction, or did they figure out they had to do something? Then there wasn't an immediate action. It doesn't speak of how that was acted upon that report. But you know, you got to consider the times, Chris. I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head in the fact that how people perceived mental illness was was just horrible in the day. A lot of people were blamed for their own mental disabilities, like it was their own fault they had it. So there was almost an animosity against these people, and they were treated just subhuman in a lot of cases, like worse than animals, some could even say. And as she became increasingly violent and dangerous, there was really no other way for them to kind of keep her away from people. I mean, she was to the point where she actually developed a pica, which is a mental condition which a person attempts to basically eat anything they can reach or grab. It all started with her, I think, trying to eat the buttons or eating the buttons off of her clothing and then lunging at other people. She would lunge at chicken bones, pins, wood, concrete, anything was fair game. So they they didn't know what to do. In the process of all this, this condition, she... Uh, you know, potentially either did something to her vocal cords, cut them, or her tongue got lacerated in a way that she couldn't speak anymore. Mm. She could only kind of jabber incoherently. And their only solution was to put her in this you know cage. They call it a cage, but it was technically it was called a Utica bed. And and this was a way to maintain that a person. It wasn't meant to be permanent lodging. It was meant for like the at night, if somebody was a danger to somebody else or themselves. They could put them in a bed and uh, you know know that they were in a safe spot, essentially, till morning. But this was not exactly how things were handled with Rhoda. She was basically left there for the majority of 44 years, Chris. She was left in this, a bedding consisting of straw so that the excrement would drain down 
to the bottom. I mean, mice and lice and rats Mm -hmm. were constant companions at this point. She was in there so long that her legs actually atrophied where she was almost frozen in a fetal position with her knees basically touching close to her chin. And she couldn't stand anymore. She couldn't be transported in a wheelchair. She couldn't lay in a bed. I mean, this was 44 years. This poor woman suffered these consequences of, of you know her condition. So what happened after the 1881 stuff? Nothing happened until about 1897. Okay. And what happened is, thankfully... A man named Dr. George Zeller, he began preparing to become a superintendent of a new facility opening up in Illinois, which was located in Bartonville, and that's near Peoria today. And this was called the Illinois Hospital for the Incurable Insane, a name which Zeller would very much want to change because of the negative connotation of incurable. So Dr. Zeller's approach to the treatment of the mentally ill was completely different, and it was groundbreaking at its time. Instead of a jail-like environment, this new facility had no bars on the windows, no straitjackets, no shackles, just a small, attentive, trained staff who utilized kindness to treat everybody with dignity and providing like a true care and attentiveness around the clock. And the only Utica bed that was ever in that facility was something that they kept on display to kind of add hmm. a level of perspective of this is how things Used were to be. handled. Yeah. We will never go back to this. So he when he made it his mission to go around to all these almshouses where the mentally ill often were landing zones for. And he would go and he would find the worst case scenarios, Chris, and he would he would get those people to his facility because it was his mentality that if I can take those who are the most afflicted and and show some kind of moderate success in treatment it's going to completely change the way people perceive you know this new style of of handling or and addressing the needs of the mentally ill so that's exactly what he did in 1904 after 44 years in the Adams County Almshouse Rhoda was admitted into the asylum for the incurable insane in Bartonville and the way she got there they were transported by train which actually I believe they were driven or yeah, they were drove, drove driven, drove. I can't speak good. They, <laughs> they ended up in Quincy to take the train up to Peoria. So when the train car pulls in the, the, the arriving patients leave and the staff of the hospital goes out and they find a big laundry container, which was odd because usually no, they didn't really have a lot of luggage in this you know, point in life. Mm-hmm. So they go to move the laundry basket and there's Rhoda in there. So you can imagine, you know, what a shocking sight this woman was, you know, no eyes, you know, front oh. teeth knocked out because of pica, at- legs atrophied. That was the only way they could transport her was in this laundry basket. So they totally changed reversal of fortune here with Rhoda. You know, they went from this Utica bed to, you know, they treated her like a queen. You know, she was in proper proper care she had a you know a nice fresh linens three meals a day fresh food get, you know taken from local farms they did everything they could to let her enjoy the facilities in the garden they would take her out and let her feel the wind they would even dress her up in nice dresses and take her to like dances put on by the facility and so it was just you know completely different now i mean you look at rhoda she's blind she can't talk can't really walk, can't really move, but she did some kind of seem to show signs of being at peace. She wasn't violent anymore. As much improvement as could be expected with her was achieved under this Dr. Zeller's care. And Rhoda apparently was very fond of Dr. Zeller. Only when he was in her presence, that was the only time where she would ever smile, Chris. Oh, wow. Perhaps it was the cologne that he was wearing or the sound of his voice, but that seemed to be the only kind of positive interaction that Rhoda gave at that point in her life was whenever Dr. Zeller was around. Hmm. You know, Dr. Zeller was very progressive. He never turned away any members of the press, politicians. He always welcomed into the facility to help demonstrate his methods. And in the last couple of years of Rhoda's life, she drew significant attention from the media. 
And the staff was very careful to protect her so that she wasn't just this object of curiosities, but really, you know, this was a kind of a leap board into how this new method of handling the mentally ill was being done by showing these extreme cases. So yeah, the last two years of Rhoda's life was a complete turnaround. But sadly, in 1906, a wave of tuberculosis just started ravaging the hospital. And sadly, Rhoda contracted tuberculosis and spiraled downhill until she died on October 9th, 1906. You know, everybody was heartbroken. They've kind of taken in Rhoda as almost, I wouldn't say a mascot because that has negative connotations, but they, they treated her, I mean, like a queen, essentially. Mm-hmm. And everybody was heartbroken. And the, the last kind of mystery here in Rhoda's life involved her burial. There were several cemeteries on the premises. One was more of a prestigious place where people who were in the facility who still had attentive family members who hadn't completely mm, disowned sure. them would you know put up the money for a headstone, proper burial services, all this. But the majority of people ended up in more of a pauper's field where it was just kind of they were buried and there may be a small, insignificant ID number associated with that burial plot. Well, Rhoda had never had any visits from family. Few people even were alive anymore that were her family. But somehow, she ended up in the more prestigious cemetery with a headstone. Hmm. So many people think that Dr. Zeller and the staff, she was granted one last act of dignity and honor in her resting place. Wow. It's one of these stories where it took an extreme case of just horrors to eventually bring light her suffering paved the way for this new treatment under Dr. Zeller. He wasn't necessarily the first person in the country, Chris, to have these new types of treatment, but he was definitely among the first. And those mentalities of how they once worked were substituted going forward, and care for the mentally ill was uh, kind of turned around at that point. And that's the story, huh? That's the story. There's more that I want to get into on our Patreon episode, Chris. And okay. I think I think it involves some questions going on in your head based on some of your questions you, you threw out there. I want to look at diagnosis of from yeah. today's standards, what that was. I also want to put a little speculation forward because um, when Rhoda died, allegedly, if you go to the grounds of that former facility, you may just have some contact with Rhoda today. <laughs> Yeah, when you mentioned where the location of that was at, a a light bulb in my head went off. So, uh, yeah. And and let me get your outside perspective. Uh, Just just to kind of wrap this up, and I'll I'll let you know where I'm at, but do you feel in total mental illness here, right? I mean, is that where you're at? I think it's the most logical explanation. The imagination does get going a little bit when you think about some of these more supernatural moments yeah but i i think probably probably mental illness i would say where, where are you at on this well there's there's a couple things that uh, we'll dig into this deeper in patreon but i'll go ahead and throw them out here now you know you mentioned curses at the beginning right. and obviously it's all started sure. from a curse uh, one thing if you guys haven't heard of this uh, check it out uh, really there's some great books out there about the bell witch in uh, tennessee is a is an amazing example uh, of that situation a lot more expanded and there's a couple things you said especially going into the psychic abilities which is a, a a big thing in there but that also leans into something else in the same time frame that was also happening in illinois that a lot of people back in that time frame did not know about and that was the wasika wonder Hmm. So that's another example, and I'll just give you a quick little synopsis. It, it's what happened was this girl she passed away. I think it was about ten years later. This girl started feeling weird, and all of a sudden, stuff started happening in the house. And the next thing you know, this girl is possessed by the girl that died ten years ago, and she had the abilities of knowing, like you know, those psychic abilities that right. that she was able to pick out. And so that when you mentioned that about her psychic abilities, that really leaned me into the Wasika wonder was that was something that was a big part of, of all that going on where they knew she knew what was going on without anybody's help. So that in, in where to wrap this up and wrap my side of this thing up is that if you want to go down to the supernatural path, I think there's an Avenue you can play with here. There's there definitely, there's several, there's one that I haven't even mentioned yet, which involves home growing a ghost. 
essentially. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. Okay. If that's if that piques your interest, definitely check out the Patreon <laughs> episode. We're gonna we we kind of put the facts forward tonight with the actual story of Rhoda, taking it from a purely human dignity standpoint of a horrible situation this woman was in and her life was just you know torturous. However, that light at the end of the tunnel for the treatment of the mentally ill was at least one positive stem. But to look at it from different angles now on the actual medical diagnoses of what she had condition-wise, including the more supernatural side of things. We're going to dive into that pretty deep here on the Patreon episode next, Chris. And that is a look at Rhoda Derry here on Wild Quincy. We'll have more coming up next. You eat your Prairie Farms cottage cheese. I like it with fresh fruit. Sprinkle a bunch of pepper on it. How about on top of Jello? Or with jelly? With a firm, fresh tomato. On pineapple with a cherry. It's a great gift with chip and salsa. I like it right out of the tub. Prairie Farms cottage cheese. How do you like it? Well, that was not, uh, that actually, that was totally accidental. Uh, we went from talking about Rhoda Dairy, Travis, to talking about Prairie Farms Dairy. <laughs> Boy, what a segue. <laughs> we didn't we think didn't about that. <laughs> uh, um, I think the more important question is, what are you going to start putting, <laughs> putting, putting, I'm already blanking on with the cottage yeah. cheese. What should we put cottage cheese on? All right, guys, I'm, I'm going to make a reveal. And if you don't like cottage cheese, just go ahead and fast forward 10 seconds, okay? I like cottage cheese with peas. With peas? Boy, that's... I, see, I'm not a judger when it comes to people's, like, eccentric tastes. Tastes? I can't talk. I, I, I see that as, like, a ooh, interesting challenge. Challenge accepted. It's a weird texture and a weird taste. You got the little salty with the, with the, with the cottage cheese and... It's not bad. That could be good. I like that little umami umami sensation there, huh? Well, no, apparently it's it's the duct tape of foods. So thank you, Prairie Farms. They're a huge player in the, the dairy game, Chris, aren't Oh, they? yeah. Well, it's crazy. Well, and we talked about this before we got started, Travis. It's just crazy to think about Prairie Farms because I was always under the impression, Travis, when I was a kid that Prairie Farms was a Quincy thing. Absolutely, I was the same. That's not the case at all. Uh, They're a very large company. Actually, the revenue as of 2017 was three billion dollars. Holy cats! They're three billion dollar company. Of course, they are out of Edwardsville, Illinois. Uh, I can give you a bunch of details, but I'm not going to go through a lot here. Uh, One of the things I can tell you from personal experience is that uh, Prairie Farms is one of those places that they supply and distribute to places like McDonald's and Wendy's and Burger King and Dairy Queen as well. If you're getting a one of those soft serve ice cream cones from Dairy Queen, it's most likely got to Prairie Farms. A little bit of that yummy cow juice. Dairy in it. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, they, they expand out pretty far. They are a very large company. But again, like I said, they're based out of Edwardsville. But yeah, a Prairie Farms, two locations I remember, Travis. One of them's still there, one of them's not. The one that is on across from, uh, across from, don't say it, um, from so Coach close. House. That's it. You got it. Yeah, was that 24th? 24th and Broadway, yeah. Okay. And then they had another one that they just tore down recently. It's an empty lot now, and that's at 18th and Broadway. There was another Correct. building there. That, that was. I think that was where they cleaned out their tankers at. I think you're right. I think you're right. So so they would go collect the milk, and I, I'm pretty sure if there's a dairy farmer that's still out there, uh, well, I know there's dairy farmers. <laughs> they farm, exist. There's dairy they exist. <laughs> yeah. If, if there's one out there that listens, let us know. I'm pretty sure that, that Prairie Farms still does the local collection for the dairy farmers here in in the area so pretty neat stuff but that is a look at some retro news our retro ad i was trying to look up what the date of that prairie farms ad was and i don't know i'm pretty sure that was probably around 92 93 that ad came out well that's good to know the prairie farm's still rocking it over here oh oh and we did also discover that not only do they have prairie farms but they also have the north star 
which if you go to the frozen ice cream section, you've seen those North Star ice cream cones and bars and all that stuff. Absolutely. That is also a Prairie Farms product, so pretty neat to see that. They're bringing it. They're bringing it. They got the, they got yeah. the moo juice, and they're bringing it in so many ways. <laughs> the moo juice. Got it. Oh, that's good. I've never heard that. That's good. All right, so that is a look at our throwback ad. Travis, before we go to our question of the day, I want to bring up something we've been discussing. I think we may have like hinted at it at the end of season one, but we want to get it out <laughs> Who can there. remember that far back? Chris? Yeah, it was like that was like six years ago. Uh, but we wanted to get this out there because the, obviously, you know, we're getting into Halloween season, which that means we're just around the corner from Christmas season and giving presents and seeing Santa and all that fun stuff. And we wanted to get you guys something special so just to let you know we are going to be releasing season one of wild quincy as a cd collection and uh travis you want to give them some details on this? right yeah i i think um there's a lot of people who are maybe a little technically challenged we all know those people in our lives we thought what would be a cool way to kind of give them a medium which is a little more easily consumable and a good way to kind of maybe Throw this in your car. You got Wild Quincy. It's going to be a you know like a multiple discs collection of season one, and you know it's going to make a good Christmas present if you have somebody in your family that enjoys the history and little tidbits of Quincy. But it's not going to be an adventure you want to try to teach how to podcast or listen to podcasts. So right. this is <laughs> the easy way out. It's going to be a good a good thing. We're excited about it, and we hope uh, we'll get some interest from you guys as well. When we started thinking about this idea about how we wanted to do this, we actually our, I think our original thought was, wouldn't it be cool if we did it like as like tapes, oh, like cassette audio tapes? tapes, dude? Mm. And so then we started looking at cassette tapes, and we found out like a pack of like it's ten cassette tapes now is like sixty bucks. They're uh, in ridiculous. museums. You got to buy them from the museums. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so then we went on to like, well, let, you know, what else could we do? And so then we finally got to the CD idea and trying to make it retro. We're hoping this works out. But when you do get our CD collection, it will be, and you remember the cool 90s and 2000s <laughs> style when you're in the car and you flip down the visor and you got your CDs up here on a little, little rack, a little visor thing you could pull a cd out that's what's going to be coming in is one of those cool little cd visor uh cases i like to call so, it the power sleeve chris the power sleeve very good uh, yeah so we'll have uh, that coming your way but what we're going to do is we're going to do a pre-order for them we'll have that uh, information going through our website but we'll get you information on our facebook page if you don't like our facebook page make sure to head over there and like it so you can keep up to date with us and then uh we'll do the pre-order coming out and we'll have those before christmas coming your way so make sure to get those out there if you got a, a parent or a relative that would love to listen to these things it'd be a great stocking stuffer to give to those guys so uh, keep that in mind and like I said we'll have more details coming up for you later on as we go through the month of October so did we miss anything on that trap no but I got a hankering for knowledge I got a hankering for a question of the day I, let's let's get oh, into it all right so our question of the day was this how many people are estimated to be buried at Woodland Cemetery your options are 10,000 25,000 47,000 or 60 thousand people travis do you have a guesstimate Boy, or an I, idea on this i'm one? having a hard time trying to visualize what those kind of numbers look like in juxtaposition of the actual cemetery uh i want to go low but i think um i'm gonna i'm gonna go with ten thousand. Ten thousand. your final yeah, answer yeah it might be higher but i'm gonna start with i'll say ten thousand. you are Incorrect. Oh my goodness, what is it? The total amount estimated of people that are buried in Woodland Cemetery, according to an article from the Historical Society of Quincy and Adams County, the total people buried at Woodland Cemetery is at 60,000 Really? 60,000? Yes. I would have never guessed that many. So <laughs> that is the estimates, of course. Uh, it's... Uh, an old, old cemetery that's been around for a long time. So you got to think, you know, 30,000, 40,000 people living in Quincy for 100 years, you know, those numbers are going to add up pretty quick. Absolutely. That that's incredible. Yeah. I would have never guessed. So that is a look at our question today. Of course, the reason we bring that up is because that is one of those haunted locations in the Quincy area that we'll be discussing in the month of October. We're going to be talking everything from Woodland Cemetery, Washington Theater, maybe some old hospitals, some haunted taverns, and everything in between. 
we'll have coming up for you in the month of October. I'm excited about this one, Travis. Yeah, it's going to be a good time, Chris. I think we're all pretty stoked. This time of the year, we, you know, you get you get the apple cider out, you get the jack-o'-lantern carved, put on Wild Quincy in the background. It's going to be a fun time for you and the family. Definitely will be. And so we'll have that coming up for you in two weeks as we'll be having a Patreon week next week and then our bye week and then we'll be back the first week of October to get our Halloween spooktacular started. We're going to come up with a better name before the beginning of October for that. So, Travis, are we missing anything else before we wrap things up? Two quick things, Chris. I want to give a, a huge thanks to, there's a book called 44 Years in Darkness, A True Story of Madness, Tragedy and Shattered Love by Sylvia Schultz. A lot of that was the basis for my research combined with articles from the newspaper as well as other website information. Do check out the blog page. Going to be a lot of interesting content there related to the Rhoda Dairy situation, including the one picture in existence of Rhoda. Mm. Little creepy, but I think it's it's worth worth checking out. Also, props to the Historical Society and the Quincy Library. They just unleashed their Quincy Architectural Database, um, which is like historical facts on different per addresses, and that's on the library page where you could often go for like local history. Oh wow! And I haven't done a deep dive yet. I did see it was announced, I think, in the last couple weeks. So if you're looking for information on a specific address. That's now online and searchable through the library's website. Did so, we cool. visit there when one of the students or an intern there was working on that project? I think you're right. I think you're right. I didn't realize they were so close. So yeah. that's exciting. That's exciting for any any history buff to go check that out. Major props. Love when that kind of stuff gets digitized and becomes so much more accessible to everybody. Well, and you just mentioned it, Travis. The library and the historical society, those are two gems in the Quincy Amazing. area for sure. So make sure to support them in any way you can, you know, become a member of the Historical Society, check out the library, get a library card, help them out. Uh, they, it's just, we wouldn't be where we're at today without the help of those people. So we appreciate that. And Travis, I also want to give a shout out to you. Great job on the research again for this well, thank, episode. Thank you, sir. It was, it was, a, it was, I wouldn't say it was a, a good time. It was hor- kind of horrible <laughs> subject matter, but, right. but uh, it was interesting to see. And if that piqued your interest, you're definitely going to want to jump over to our Patreon side. A couple bucks a month. This next this next Patreon episode is going to go right back into the road of dairy where we left off. Talk about some interesting theories, some more, a little more supernatural stuff. It should be a great episode. For Travis Hoffman, I'm Chris Ketters, and you've been listening to Wild Quincy. We'll catch you guys next time. Take care, everybody. Wild Quincy is released every other Tuesday and is produced by Chris Ketters and Travis Hoffman. Sound designed by Downdraft Sound and Editing and music by Travis Hoffman Music. I'm Bo Beecraft, and thanks for listening to Wild Quincy. Wild Quincy.